0: Well, if you will take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 24, 1 Samuel 24, Uh, as I had mentioned, um, I'm thankful to be pretty much recovered from everything, but I still deal with a little bit of fatigue, so we might be a little bit shorter uh, this evening, uh, partially because I get a little bit tired easier, and also because the breaking point from where we did this a couple weeks ago and then where we are now really doesn't... It works so we can do a short, a little bit of, of stuff, and then next week, Lord willing, we'll pick up and looking at the Davidic covenant, which I couldn't do justice in just a little bit of time that we would have. So we're continuing to look at the kingly office, and particularly we're looking at the Davidic dynasty, the Davidic dynasty, and, and seeing how David and God's choice of David uh, factors into God's promise that the curse reverser would be the one who would be the king. So uh, let's go ahead and we'll read, we're going to read the entire chapter of 1 Samuel chapter 24, and then we're going to make some sort of uh, um, review remarks, and then we'll be looking particularly at how David is a patient and humble, obedient uh, king. So 1 Samuel chapter 24. Now just to give you a little bit of the background of what's been going on up until this point, um, David has already been crowned king. David has uh, won victories, particularly he, he defeated uh, Goliath and uh, and brought about that great victory there. And as a result of his popularity, as a result of what uh, had happened, Saul became increasingly jealous of David, and so much so that he sought to kill David. Um, and we're going to look at, at what is motivating Saul's um, rebellion here. But we come to chapter 24, and really chapter 24 and chapter 26 become sort of the the highlighted moments. And particularly here in chapter 24, we see David remarkably sparing Saul's life when seemingly the Lord has delivered this man who's trying to kill him into his hands. And there's much for us to learn from David's response to this situation. So look with me, 1 Samuel chapter 24. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give you your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words, and he did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went his way. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My Lord, the King. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks you harm. Behold, this day's your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my Father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, out of the wickedness comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? May the Lord therefore judge and give sentence between me and you, and see to it and plead my cause, and deliver me from your hand. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt with me, and that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now, behold, I know that you shall surely be king, and the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me, and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul. Then Saul went home, and David and his men went up to the stronghold. Let's seek the Lord's face. Father. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for these true accounts of how You work through Your people. And we thank You, Father, for David. We thank You for his sensitivity to the Spirit. We thank You for his desire to live uprightly before You. And particularly in this instance, Father, we are able to see David's patient trust and obedience Father, may we learn from this about how we ought to respond to those who who seek to harm us, how we should truly leave vengeance in your hands. And, Father, even when we are given the opportunity to repay evil with evil, may we seek to be like David and repay evil with good. Father, work in our midst by your Spirit today. We pray this all in Christ's name, pleading his blood. Amen. So to quickly uh, recap what we talked about, I guess it's been three weeks uh, since we have been here in this study, Uh, we began looking at the Davidic dynasty and we we looked at how Israel sought for a king and how Saul was that first king and and that the, the way and the means through which Israel sought to bring about that king was not a king of God's choosing but they sought a king of their own choosing. And so the difference we see between David and Saul is that David is a king of God's choosing. Again, God had rejected Saul as Israel's choice because of his rebellion, his disobedience. But yet God still in his wonderful love sought to bless his people. He tells Samuel, go and anoint a new king. And so what we see is that in rejecting Saul, God promises that the next king of Israel is going to be one according to God's own heart. And we talked about how there's likely a double meaning there, both that it would be a king chosen by God's heart, that it would be one of God's choice, and then particularly how David himself is a man after God's own heart. We saw that Samuel is sent ...to the house of Jesse in Bethlehem... ...and he brings all of the sons of Jesse before him... ...and, and God says, it's not this one, it's not this one, it's not this one. Almost as though God is, is going to the greatest lengths... ...to show this is not going to be a man chosen... ...because of the capabilities... ...or because that they are someone that man would look at and say... ...that would make a good king... ...to make the point that God is the one who's making the choice here. And so it's not until David appears that the Lord reveals His choice for the next king of Israel. And so again, God chooses the least son of a family dwelling in one of the least prominent cities of Israel to be the next king of Israel. And again, God's gaze is not on the outward appearance. That's where who looks? Who looks on the outward appearance? Man does, but God rather, He sees the heart. And again, it shows us that the wisdom of God is greater than the wisdom of men. And we looked at how Paul makes this point abundantly clear in 1 Corinthians. God did not choose to save the wisest and the best and the most most perceptive, the most powerful, the the most uh, uh, capable of people. Who does he choose to save? Fools like us. The weak things, to confound the wise, to show that the power is of God. And not of us. And then we saw after David is anointed king, we see that the Spirit rushes upon him, emphasizing that he will be a king who depends upon the Holy Spirit. We're told that the Spirit remains upon David from that day forward. And this is a key detail to understanding why David's house is established. He is dependent in all things upon the Spirit of God and it's also a clear contrast with Saul. In fact, in 1 Samuel 16 where we uh, looked at the last time we were together, it describes how David has is anointed, the spirit comes upon him. And then we see in verse 14 of 1 Samuel chapter 16 that the spirit departs from Saul and instead there's a harmful spirit that comes upon him. And so the greatness of David's reign was not established by his innate human qualities nor by his king his keen wisdom but rather David's reign is established by the holy spirit and this is God's intention for his kingdom throughout all ages it's through the ministry of the spirit that Christ preaches the gospel of his kingdom it is through the giving of the spirit at pentecost that as he breaks forth that we have the establishment of the church in the book of acts And it is through dependence on the Spirit that we experience new life in Christ. And so the Spirit's work within us is a clear indication that we are members of this kingdom because the Spirit is the one who works within us so that we would have the fruits of the Spirit and not the fruits of the flesh. Well, now we come to what we're going to look at this evening And that is, as David is a spirit-dependent king, he's a king of God's own choice, not man's choice, we see that he is a king of humble obedience and patience. In fact, if you didn't turn back with me, turn back with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16 for a second. Now, the narrative here is interesting. So, So David is anointed king. Samuel comes, pours the oil on him. The spirit rushes upon him, all right? He is the new king. Saul has been rejected as king. And this is a public declaration that Saul has been rejected as king. Samuel's presence in Bethlehem, I'm sure, brought questions. And of course, his family saw David being anointed king. And so when this great change happens, David immediately gets the throne, right? No. While David is anointed by Samuel as God's choice to be king over Israel, he doesn't ascend the throne immediately. This has always puzzled me to some extent. I mean, here is David. I'm it. I'm God's choice. He had, in one sense, every right to take the throne. But yet we see that David patiently waits for God to be the one to depose Saul. And what's amazing here is the humility that David shows. So it, we have this great, this great scene. David is, is anointed to be the next king of Israel. And then the narrative continues in verse 16 that this evil Saul comes upon or this evil spirit comes upon Saul. And so Saul's servants see that this spirit is tormenting him. And we see in verse 16, he says, "Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man." who is skillful in playing the lyre? And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So Saul tells his servants, verse 17, Provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. Verse 18, one of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and The Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David, his son, to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. I mean, think about that for a second. David is king. He's been anointed the king of Israel, and yet what does he do? He doesn't demand what is coming to him. He doesn't demand immediately that God depose Saul. What does he do? He enters the service of Saul, the one whom God had rejected. Saul loves him. And we know that David plays as when the spirit would come upon Saul, David would play the lyre, and the spirit would depart, and, and David would be, or Saul would be soothed from all of this. And it's just remarkable to me that, that right on the heels of David being anointed king of Israel, he enters into the service of the man who he is going to depose. It shows David's full and complete confidence. In the Lord. He doesn't take things into his own hands. He leaves them in God's hands. There's a lot for us to see and and to to learn here. Particularly about the soothing of Saul from the harmful spirit. It's no mistake of providence that the means to soothe Saul's anguish is found in God's choice of a king. Someone whom... The Lord is with. There's a lot of of discussion, particularly in this passage, about how we can deal with some of the mental health issues and and the anguishes of our own hearts that often come about in life. We live in a world that is distressing. We have distressing things that come upon us. And maybe at times we can feel like there is a harmful, evil spirit threatening us as our circumstances are difficult, as we, as we mourn certain things in life, as we deal with, with difficulties at work, difficulties with family, difficulties with friends. And we can become disturbed in our own spirits. And I think it's important for us to recognize how God has intended for us to find hope in those instances. It's to turn to people who are filled with the Spirit of God. David's ministry to Saul is found in the fact that he is ministering to him as someone whom the Lord is with. And so I think it's important for us to recognize that that God has given us each other. He's given us the body of Christ and other believers who are indwelt with the Holy Spirit so that we can help each other, so that we can talk to believers, and share our difficulties, share our burdens, and to be encouraged as we discuss these things with one another. I think it's so important for us to recognize that the world has all sorts of different ways and coping mechanisms that they seek to give us, and the reality is God has provided for us in His people an untold wealth of hope as we face the difficulties of life. And so, again, we see David serving by soothing Saul from the harmful spirit that God had sent to Saul. Again, I think it's also highlighted here in the passage to highlight that God's king, God's choice of a king, is a king who is dependent on his spirit, not dependent on himself. So David... Serves in that way. We also see that David faithfully defends Israel in Saul's service. I think what we see is the next event in the narrative in 1 Samuel is, if you look at the top, if you're you're there in your scriptures and maybe you have uh, um, headings, what does the heading above chapter 17 say in your Bible? Anybody? David and Goliath. One of the most well-known stories that we know in uh, scripture so much so that it, it has become so influential. This account of David's life that it comes into just regular parlance in in, uh, in in the English language. We talk about you know a David and Goliath type of situation. That type of thing comes about. What we see here is that David is faithfully defending Israel, and Saul is not. We find a a, a great contrast here in how David sees this this giant, this this big hulk of a man defying the armies of Israel and David is, is shocked that these armies are just cowering behind their battlements. That nobody will stand up against this one who is defiling Israel and by extension defiling Israel's God. And so David takes just a sling and some stones, rejecting the king's armor, and goes and receives great victory by God's hand. I think this is, again, a a showing to us, a sort of a preview of how God wins his victories. God does not bring victory through the common means that we would think. You know, David would not be the one that most likely you would want to send out against this great champion of Gath. You would want to send out the, the greatest warrior. But David is the greatest warrior because he is not dependent on himself. God is his warrior. God is the one who gives him that deliverance. And, and David speaks of this in Psalm chapter 20. He says, Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed he will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand and then this verse that is well known some trust in chariots some in horses but we who are we to trust in the name of the lord our god Those who trust in chariots and horses, you know what will eventually happen? The horses will collapse. The chariots will fall. Every device, every contraption, everything that mankind can invent to try to bring about victory, it all falls far short of the power that God Himself has. And so He says they those who trust in chariots and horses, they collapse and they fall. But we rise and stand upright. Again, David is contrasted with Saul, who is trusting in himself, trusting in, his, in the power of his um, armies. Yet David trusts in the Lord and brings about victory. So David soothes by, serves Saul by soothing him from the harmful spirit. He defends Israel in Saul's service. And then we even see David is tied closely to Saul's family. He takes Saul's daughter as his first wife. So that Saul is his father-in-law. In fact, when, when there's that interaction that we read in 1 Samuel 24 of David saying, my father, and Saul saying, my son, That was a true familial connection. They were family. And of course we know David forged one of the closest of relationships, his closest relationship with Saul's own son, Jonathan. I mean, again, this is the man who is seeking to kill you This is the man whom God has said, I've rejected as king. This is the man whom you are to replace. And yet through this all, David is humbly and righteously seeking to serve him. Well, as we see, if we were to continue reading on in 1 Samuel, even though David has these close connections with with, uh, Saul and his family, even though he marries his daughter, He's close friends with his son. Saul's jealousy grows. Saul hears the story. Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. Saul's jealousy grows. He at some point begins to perceive David as a threat to his own kingdom. And so he chases David. In fact, there are Instances where David is playing and seeking to serve Saul. And what does Saul do? Picks up a spear and throws it at David, trying to kill him. And so, this fury and anger that, da- that Saul has against David, David flees Saul's enraged fury and, um, and attempts to kill David. But what's amazing here is that David does not mount a rebellion. And we see this here in 1 Samuel 24. Through all of this, David is resting in God's promise and waiting for God to establish his dynasty. You know, if, if you think about it, David's desire here was to please the Lord and to leave vengeance in the Lord's hands, but... You think about it from a practical standpoint. If David had taken things into his own hands and sought to bring about God's revealed plan through not God's means but his own, it could have been disastrous. There are many things that could have gone wrong if David had sought to depose Saul himself. It could have driven the country into civil war. In fact, even though David has these men following him, you can already see sort of the seeds of that as they're egging him on when Saul comes in there and and David literally catches him with his pants down. Instead of killing him, his people or his men are saying, go ahead, the Lord's delivered him into your hands. He could have brought illegitimacy to his kingdom if he had slain Saul in that cave. But in all of this, David rested in God's plan. Look again with me in 1 Samuel 24, and particularly look at verses 8 through 12. Again, we know the the story. David cuts off the, the corner of Saul's robe. Saul goes out, and afterward David arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, my lord the king. Now, notice here again David's humility. David has been anointed king, yet he recognizes that Saul is still the king of Israel. My lord the king, and when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. I don't know about you, but if I had the chance to stand before the person who was trying to kill me, I don't think I'm going to be bowing on the ground and paying homage to him. I'm going to be wanting to get him. Notice what David says in verse 9. David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. This is interesting. Is it true that God delivered Saul into the hands of David? Yes. Yes. But it wasn't for David to take matters into his own hand. It was for David to demonstrate what it means to trust God fully. I mean, David could have killed Saul. He could have said, hey, I've been anointed king. I mean, from a momentary perspective, everything could have ended at that moment. The Lord delivered, David, delivered Saul into David's hand. He goes and he says that some told me to kill you. But I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord. For he is the Lord's anointed. See my father. What, what a, it's amazing to see the way in which David continues to humble himself before Saul, calling him his father. See the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take And then we see where David's true hope is cast through this entire situation. Says verse 12, "May the Lord judge between me and you." David's not putting himself in the place of judge and jury and executioner here. He's leaving it in God's hands. "May the Lord judge between me and you." And then he says, may the Lord avenge me against you. But my hand, my hand shall not be against you. This is remarkable. And it's something I think that the church needs to hear clearly in this day and age. There has been over the last several years with COVID, with with things that have happened, with certainly abuses that the government has done, there has been, unfortunately, a sort of ugly underbelly in the church that has sought to come up and say, we're going to avenge ourselves upon these people who have persecuted us. And here we have David, who has his enemy given into his hands and he chooses to let the Lord be the one who brings about that vengeance. May the Lord judge between me and you and may the Lord avenge me against you. This actually the situation happens again in First Samuel 26. there's this promises that, that David makes to Saul and Saul makes to David and yet, through it all, does, does Saul say, okay, I'm done chasing David? No. He goes after him again. And in 1 Samuel chapter 26, after there is this again opportunity for David to kill Saul, and he doesn't. And David says this, the Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today. This is the second time. And I would not put out my hand against the lord's anointed behold as your life was precious this day in my sight so may my life be precious in the sight of my lord and may he deliver me out of all tribulation Do you see the faith of david in god's working here May he deliver me out of all my tribulation. He's no longer looking to agreements with Saul. That has obviously not worked. Saul's not going to be a man of honor. Saul's not going to be a man who, who keeps his word and says he won't pursue him. He's just turned right around and did it again. So David puts his hope in the Lord, that his life would be precious in the sight of the Lord, and that the Lord would be the one Who would deliver him out of all his tribulation? This is a, a wonderful hope that God does deliver his people from tribulation, that he does save and relieve from the difficulties that we face in this life. I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're thrown into the fiery furnace. Before they're thrown into the fiery furnace, they make this bold proclamation to Nebuchadnezzar that the Lord will deliver him from his hands. And he can deliver them from the fiery furnace. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't deliver them from the fiery furnace, they will continue to be true to God, to not disobey Him. They'll never bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's idol. And so they're thrown into that fiery furnace, and as they're thrown in there, are they even singed, even in the slightest bit, by the fire? No. And they're saved because as Nebuchadnezzar looks into that furnace, he sees not three figures, but how many? Four. One like the Son of Man. Oh, I'm sorry, the Son of God. And it is there that we see Christ coming to His people and saving them. And the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego there was not that God was going to deliver them fully and completely from that fiery furnace. If they had been burnt up, that would have been God's will, but they still would have been delivered from Nebuchadnezzar's hand. And so this is what David is saying. I know that my life is precious in the sight of the Lord, and I'm praying and seeking Him to deliver me out of all tribulation. Now here's the problem. Here's the problem with us. Who do we look to to deliver us out of tribulation? Ourselves. I just wonder if you're honest with yourself and you had the opportunity that we read of in 1 Samuel 24, that the man who's trying to kill you is now doesn't know you're there. He's in a compromised position, and all you have to do is pull out a knife and strike him. I'm sure many of us would be very tempted to stop the madness that we're facing, to reach out and to to take matters into our own hands. I wonder if we... Do this regarding people who treat us wrongly. Oh, I'm done with them. They've they've crossed the line. I'll show them. We think that we can be the ones who mete out justice and mete out vengeance because of the way that people have treated us. When Jesus was being nailed onto the cross, What was his desire for those who drove those nails into his hands? He cried out, Father, what? Forgive them. For they do not know what they do. As we saw this morning, Stephen, as he is being beaten with huge stones thrown upon him, as he's dying there, what is his prayer? Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they do. He models... Christ throughout that. And as Paul comes to the end of Romans chapter 12, he takes up this theme that we see so clearly demonstrated in David's life. He says, "Beloved, when are we able to avenge ourselves?" What's the word there? Never. Beloved Never avenge yourselves. When is it appropriate for the believer to take justice into his own hands? Never. When is it appropriate for us to get back at the person who's hurt us? Never. It's not an option for the believer. Because we, instead of taking it into our own hands, we leave it to the wrath of God. We trust in His plan. Because it's written, Who is the one who owns vengeance? Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So what are we to do? How are we to respond to those who despitefully use us? To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry... You don't revel in his hunger. You don't revel in his misfortune. What do you do? You feed him. If he's thirsty, you give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but rather overcome evil with what? With good. What we see here is a contrast that David brings up in verse 13 of 1 Samuel 24. The proverb of the ancients says, Out of the wicked comes wickedness. And the converse idea of this is, Out of the righteous comes righteousness. We're not to be overcome by evil. We're to overcome evil with good. You know, we need to really, I think, sit with this truth and let it transform the way that, transform the ways that we've responded to people in our past. You know, I'm sure all of you here can think of people who have harmed you, grievously harmed you in your past, and perhaps you've carried anger and bitterness from that to this point. Perhaps you've sought to mete out your own form of justice in the way that you talk about them to other people. The way you have treated them in the past. We need to think about this in the way that we discuss political issues. The way in which we describe those on the opposing side needs to be a way in which we do it in a loving, compassionate, overcoming evil with good rather than seeking to do tit for tat. Rather than seeking to give evil for evil, we're to heap hot coals by the kindness that we show to those who are our enemies. And we have to recognize that even though we may have the opportunity to, quote-unquote, seek justice as David did, our responsibility is to leave it in whose hands? God's hands. When we take things into our own hands, what does that show about our faith? Who are we trusting in? Ourselves. And David here shows full and complete confidence and faith in God. So our dependence must be on our Christ and on His plan. You know, one of the greatest things we can do for those who have despitefully used us, who have harmed us, is to share with them the hope of Christ. To see the vengeance of God for their sinful deeds meted out not on them, but on Christ for their behalf. To call them to trust in Him and to find in Him hope from all their sinful actions. Think of the Apostle Paul. What was Paul's name? Before what was he called in, in the book of Acts before he was referred to as Paul? He was called who? Saul. And what did Saul do? What was his what was the thing that gave him the greatest delight? Killing Christians. In fact, he held the cloaks of those who were hatefully killing Stephen. And yet God came and met him on the road to Damascus. And he comes to a man, a man of God in Jerusalem and says, hey, you know this guy who is killing all these Christians? I want you to go to him because he's now a believer. How'd you like that assignment? But he did it because he had the same faith that David shows here. Oh, that we would be like David here. Not because David is some great person, but because David is being used by the Spirit of God. You realize what David accomplishes here is just as possible for us today. Because the same Spirit that rushed upon David and stayed with him and enabled him to do these things, we have that same Spirit that points us to be like our Savior, our Christ. So what a wonderful hope we have. What a wonderful faith and trust we can have that God will do and bring about perfect justice according to His plan. May we trust and rest in that justice at all times. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank You for Your Word. And Lord, we thank you for the example we see here of David, a man who is captured and dependent upon the Holy Spirit and and shows such confident hope and trust in you so that he does not raise his hand up against Saul, but leaves it to your plan. Father, may we have this same attitude. Father, may we not seek to take justice into our own hands. May we seek to rest in your plans to seek justice from you that we would never avenge ourselves but we would leave it to your plan so that we can respond to those who are our enemies by feeding them and giving them to drink and clothing them. Repaying evil with good and not being overcome by evil. Through this all, we are dependent upon Your Spirit. Father, take Your Word tonight. Apply it to the hearts and lives of those here, those watching online. Father, may we be radically different than this world. May we rest as David did in Your perfect plan. We pray this all in Christ's name, pleading his blood. Amen. Thanks for joining us here in person. Thanks for joining us online. Have a great week.